Broadcasting from Punta Gorda, Florida. This is the Campus Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 45, Homosexuality and Queers. Might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going. Welcome, slow. everybody, to the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, FLFnetwork.com, uh, or you can visit my website on campusreacher.com. And if you go to the FLF Network, um, you can become a member. And if you put in KDCP, I guess some sort of kickback. Uh, but we have a handful uh, going on. Uh, I think we were supposed to have an app coming out here pretty soon, a Fight, Laugh, Feast app. And also, it was announced that in October, uh, the 1st through the 3rd, we're going to have our first uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Nashville, Tennessee. So I think that will be uh, pretty great. So that's going to be in October. And thinking of conferences where most of us, I think, are going to be at the G3 conference in Atlanta uh, next week, Wednesday through Friday, or is it Thursday? The 16th through 18th, whatever days uh, those actually are, we will be in Atlanta, Georgia for the G3 conference. So if you're in Georgia, come on out to the conference. If you happen to be in Atlanta, Georgia, and I know a couple of you are, I'll be in touch and we can meet up. And if there's others of you in the greater Atlanta area that want to meet up, uh, feel free to reach out out at Keith at Campus Preacher, blah, blah, blah. You'll get all that info at the end. Um, but what I'm going to do in this episode is I'll, um, the title is Homosexuality and Queers, and it might sound initially offensive, uh, but the thing that's kind of interesting with the title is um, it's kind of being built out of a few conversations I had last semester. And so obviously when I'm on a college campus, being a Christian, sexuality is probably the chief issue next to how do I know Christianity is true. Um, sexual ethics are probably the primary issue that's being discussed out there. And within that, uh, the issue of homosexuality is often discussed. And so uh, last semester, on several occasions, I used the term homosexual, and I would get pushback that they wanted to be referred to as queers. And it wasn't on every campus, and that's one of the strange dynamics as you're trying to work through what language to use uh, in the context of kind of political correctness. Uh, the language is changing so fast and the offense is changing so fast that it's kind of hard to know what language to use all the time. Um, so I was using the term homosexual uh, one time in New England and the young woman was um, irritated. And, and the context of her was she had left the Christian faith and she um, rejected basically the gospel at this point in her life. And so she wanted to take great offense at everything I was doing. She was an African-American girl and she wanted me to be uh, the white oppressor. So my use of the term homosexual was a means of oppressing her. So it was a bit more of a uh, back and forth. Whereas the, uh, another young woman uh, over in the Northwest, uh, we had a long conversation over the nature of the gospel. She had no Christian background. Uh, she never claimed to be a Christian. And so we we're able to have a substantive conversation. But when I used the term homosexual, she asked me not to use it because she described it as being too clinical, which I thought was uh, an scientific, which I thought was an interesting aspect of how she was thinking through the use of language, her identity, and all that sort of stuff. So that got me thinking is, what is the backdrop of some of this discussion? And then it came a little bit more to the fore uh, last week when a friend of mine uh, sent me a message uh, regarding a podcast that's popular in his community, and it's called the uh, Progressive Asian American Christians, and it's just a podcast that obviously is uh, from a uh, uh, progressive Asian American Christian standpoint. And um, he just said, here's what's happening in my community. Uh, it's confusing and infuriating. And so I listened to this podcast 
uh, that he sent me. And the thing, I'm glad he sent me the episode that he did um, because it, it basically was a discussion on what's called church clarity. And so if you know what the Southern Poverty Law Center is, they run around and label anybody who's not a left-wing group basically as a hate group. And so what this church clarity is seeking to do is um, develop a website crowdsourcing, they say, um, that uh, if you are LGBT um, and you want to go to a church, you can go to their website, punch in that church's name, and it will list out their beliefs on uh, the LGBT issues as well as uh, whether or not they believe women should be uh, pastors and stuff like that. And so it's basically um, they're trying to you know, they call it church clarity. And as I read the description of the podcast, here's what they say. And it's uh, referring to a church called Mosaic, which is in Hollywood, California, which is right off the um, Hollywood Strip where all the walk of stars are, or uh, the stars, whatever those things are. Um, it's right there. And so if you, um, and if you've ever heard of Mosaic, it's by no means uh, some right-wing church. Um, but here's the description they have. Mosaic is a large and trendy church in Los Angeles. Justin Bieber has been seen there. Its pastor, Erwin McManus, has gotten a lot of attention for his hipster streetwear and sneaker game, as well as his ability to attract millennials. Mosaic also claims to be a church that is, quote-unquote, welcoming to queer believers. They say, quote, anyone and everyone is welcoming at Mosaic, and that many people of varied sexual orientations attend. And yet, behind the scenes, the Southern Baptist Church is deeply ambiguous, if not hostile, in its LGBTQ policies. Several people have confirmed that while LGBTQ plus people are welcome to, quote, attend, they cannot volunteer or be seen on stage and are relegated to serving in roles such as quote, cleaning bathrooms and floors. In 2015, when asked about Mosaic's stance on homosexuality, Pastor McManus replied, quote, our position is you have to be for each other, quote. And then uh, they go on to say, this is precisely the kind of ambiguity that Church Clarity and its founder, Sarah New, are fighting against. Church Clarity is a crowdsourced database with the mission of making churches more transparent as to their policy when it comes to LGBTQ plus affirmation and women in leadership. And so I listened to that podcast, um, which immediately led into the next podcast, which was uh, the, the, so the first one was about uh, church clarity, and Sarah New was explaining everything that's going on there. The second podcast that it led into was basically a discussion with Sarah New and her background, and her parents are uh, basically evangelicals. I, I believe, if I remember correctly, her, her dad even at one point worked for Tim Keller or with Tim Keller um, at Redeemer in uh, Manhattan, and he's tried a couple of church plants that haven't worked. But the basic idea is that he's on the uh, more conservative side of many of these issues, but yet his daughter is now... Uh, um, a lesbian, or I'm not even sure what word she would use to describe herself. And that was a thing that was interesting to me in listening to this podcast. And the thing that was helpful is it ties into the idea of my discussions on campus is that you have this move away from this idea of homosexual uh, to the idea of queer, which is more just strange. And it gets into more, what they're trying to do is get the more relational aspect of things. And so uh, without getting too confusing or too far afield, um, it's basically just our, our culture, I guess, is uh, maybe just becoming more existential, uh, full tilt existential, where our uh, existence precedes our essence. And so there is no more essence. But the thing that's kind of fascinating, uh, and, and here's what I'm trying to get at, is as I've looked at this discussion, um, it led me back to Michel Foucault. Uh, I always feel like I'm going to butcher his name, so I have to say it jokingly. Um, but he talks about um, the basically the invention uh, of homosexuality. And um, I'm going to read this and 
he's not a clear writer. He's French. He's writing in English. And the idea of a French philosopher is to be as convoluted as possible so people think you're profound. And that's precisely what he uh, excelled in. So I'm going to read this and then uh, kind of suggest something. And then uh, we're going to tie in with some other things, play a clip of uh, Sarah New and all that sort of jazz. And hopefully the, the, the goal of this podcast is give you some categories of people that you're interacting with. And maybe you're not interacting with tons of people who are thinking along these lines. Um, but if you're not right now, 10 years down the road, I believe this is going to be normal pursuit and language of people that you're interacting with. So um, I think it's important. So here's Michel Foucault. Um, this new persecution of the peripheral sexualities entailed an incorporation of perversions and a new specification of individuals. As defined by the ancient civil or canonical codes, sodomy was a category of forbidden acts. Their perpetrator was nothing more than the juridical subject of them. And so basically you had people who engaged in sodomy, kind of like you had somebody who committed a murderous act. Um, and he goes on to say, the 19th century, the 19th century, homosexual became a personage, a past, a case history, and a childhood. In addition to being a type of life, a life form, and a morphology with an industry, anatomy, and possibly a mysterious physiology. Nothing that went into his total composition was unaffected by his sexuality. Um, it was everywhere present in him, at the root of all his actions, because it was their insidious and indefinitely active principle, written modestly on his face and body because it was a secret that always gave itself away. Um, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Uh, he says, uh, it, it was uh, consubstantial with him, less as a habitual sin than as a singular nature. We must not forget that the psychological, psychiatric, medical category of homosexuality was constituted from the moment it was characterized. West Paul's famous article of 1870 on contrary sexual sensations can stand as its birth, less by a type of sexual relations than by a certain quality of sexual sensibility, a certain way of inverting the masculine and the feminine oneself. Homosexuality appeared as one of the forms of sexuality when it was transposed from the practice of sodomy onto a kind of interior androgyny, a, hermaphrodite, a hermaphrodism of the soul. The sodomite, all right, here, here's kind of, I guess, the takeaway. The sodomite had been a temporary aberration. The homosexuality was now a species. And so the basic idea is this. That when I'm on campus, I use the term homosexual in these young women's minds. I am using um, some sort of essentialist idea of who they are. That, um, yeah, yeah, that, that, that that there's some sort of thing called homosexuality that exists and it's an essence and they are and that kind of permeates their whole being rather than their relations of how they see, them, see themselves in society and so queer enables them to have a social understanding of themselves opposed to a quote unquote like scientific or clinical understanding of themselves so as you are interacting with uh, someone you might call a homosexual um, what's interesting to me is they're starting to move away from that idea and so um, when my friend was texting me about that P progressive Asian American Christian uh, podcast, he ended up asking me the question, what is your response to people who argue women weren't allowed to vote, blacks weren't allowed in seminaries, and so we should affirm gay rights as a civil rights issue? And one of the things that's interesting in the interview with Sarah New, um, she actually strikes at that very issue. And so, so if we listen to them, we realize that there's a pragmatic appeal of what's going on. So when, if gay is the new black, um, then obviously you don't want to oppress 
the homosexual. And the move has to make homosexuality kind of uh, uh, their essence, their identity. But now they're actually uh, moving away from that. So here's a clip uh, from Sarah New kind of addressing that issue. Can I ask you a question? And this is kind of a question coming out of ignorance. So I will apologize in advance. But this is kind of a question for a lot of us individuals who are ignorant but willing to learn and listening. So um, going back to this whole introducing ourselves with our pronouns thing. So you have on your website, sarahnew.com. And in this podcast, in the last podcast, you said you identify in terms of pronouns, she, her, but it's okay if you identify as his or they. And again, like apologizing for those of us who are ignorant on this whole thing that's new to us. But like when you say like, for instance, like when you say that you, you're fine, like identifying as he or identifying as they, can you just um, explain what that means for you? Yeah, so for me, one of the reasons why I'm interested in the research I'm doing is that I think um, it kind of pulls apart ways in which our, the categories we use for gender and sexuality are in some ways um, derived from particular context. Um, the ways in which different cultures contexts make sense of gender and sexuality are often quite different. So in the West, we use language of identity and language of kind of like biology. Like, I was born this way, this is who I am. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Legally, because of the w- way in which Black Americans and other also Asian Americans, other people, paved the way for civil rights, it was important strategically for the LGBT movement to model our legal arguments similarly. This, just like skin color, this is something we cannot change about ourselves. Um, this is something that is essential to who we are, and thus we cannot be discriminated against. You know, the way law works, you have to build a precedent. And yet you have other cultures and contexts in which, for instance, gender is largely uh, not so much an identity, but it's a role you take on that can be fluid and that is change that can be changed. And then I was reading another book in on in this case it was about sexuality in China, um, kind of cont- lesbian identity in the early 1900s specifically. And the author makes this comment that um, when the word homosexual is translated from German to Chinese. I was translated as homosexual love, not homosexuality, if that makes sense. And so why that shift from identity per se, which is, you know, in the West particularly originated as a scientific pathology. Um, that was how it was understood. Like if you're homosexual, you were like, you know, pathologically uh, perverted, like something inherent about you. And then and it's also to say that. So the author makes this point that the translation from identity to love kind of makes it shifts it such that it's a it's more relational and it's less about individual and that potentially sexuality then is more about um a function of the relationships and context you're in as opposed to an innate unchanging identity there are two takeaways from that that i believe are important that even if you listen to them strategically they admit that yoking the idea of homosexuality with uh, black or female is a strategic move uh, because the way law works and precedent works. And so th- there's a strategic element to um, kind of getting an essentialist identity regarding homosexuality. But if you listen to her by the end, there is no idea of an essentialist element to her homosexuality. Uh, an essentialist idea, well, it, it, she wanted to set it in the terms of pathology, 
But if you listen to her and you understood what I was actually reading from Foucault, you would see that um, th- th- those two ideas are intertwined. And so initially, this might seem like something like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. But I think it's actually helpful uh, from our standpoint, because as Christians, uh, we don't believe that homosexuality is an essentialist component of who an individual is. And this is going to tie into next week's podcast, where I'm going to address a little bit more Greg Johnson, Revoice and Article 7 of the Nashville Statement. And all these things are intertwined. And I think what we end up seeing is the Christian view that, um, you know, what is essential to being an image of God? And I believe that sexuality ends up playing a role downstream from that uh, component. Um, But we actually have an aspect to be able to evangelize in the context of the way they're using language. And we can agree with these new people, uh, with these people who are identifying as queer opposed to homosexuality. Because as Christians, we don't believe homosexuality is an essentialist component like being black or being female, uh, but rather it is um, somewhat of a social identity that they're having. Um, and what we're seeking to do is bring them back to their essentialist nature, which is the image of God and calling to repentance and faith. So the, the point is that oftentimes this might seem initially confusing and frustrating and, you know, why this and they're changing all these sorts of things. Um, it's not always negative if we're listening to it closely. And so next week we'll get into a little bit more of the idea of homosexuality and queer. Because if you listen to Greg Johnson at the PCA's uh, General Assembly and if you listen to him uh, on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, um, y- you would see that there's a divergence between the way this young woman is addressing uh, herself and the way that Greg Johnson's addressing himself. And uh, Christianity is always late to the game. So anyway, uh, that's this episode of the Campus Church Podcast. Um, if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach me at Campus Evangel on Twitter. You can email me, Keith, at CampusPreacher.com, Campus Preacher on uh, Instagram, or Keith Darrell on Facebook. So uh, Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can Cause the good God in heaven needs us, so we're in the land Some seed fell